Thank you guys. Thank you. And thank you, Pastor Chris, Pastor Father-in-Law. I appreciate it. You know, uh, speaking of meeting each other, the first time I met Chris is uh, a day I was considering going to a school of ministry. Speaking of school of ministry, it starts today. So excited. But um, he came up, and I, I don't know if he was speaking or, you know, doing announcements or something, but I, I came in. I was like, I don't know anybody in here. And all of a sudden, I heard this southern accent from the stage, and I was like, I'm home. I'll stay. I'll do this. And then I married his son. So forever. I love you. <laughs> so, awesome. So uh, thank you so much for, for listening to me talk today. Um, I'm going to talk about worship. Um, I love, love worship. Wasn't it a great time of worship this morning? It was on fire. Very, very awesome. I love it. I love it. So I got to get my glasses on so I can see. One second. So uh, growing up, I was the nerd in Model UN. Anybody else with me? I love history. I love foreign diplomacy like a weirdo. Um, so I've always been fascinated about learning about different cultures, in particular the foreign diplomacy part. If you don't know, our president is debriefed every time he meets a royal or a leader, a president of another nation. And so I just want to tell you some fun, weird facts about different cultures around the world, about the way that we interact. You say, yes, yeah, yeah. you like the fun facts, yes, <laughs> about meeting royals in a culturally appropriate ways to approach them. So here's some ways. Uh, the Queen of England, we all know the Queen, never touch the Queen of England unless she extends a hand first. Very interesting, kind of common, yeah. But when she's done eating at a formal banquet on her turf, she says, I'm done with it, my plate, everyone else's plate is immediately taken away. Did you know that? I didn't know that one. That was fun. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, the monarchy of Spain, the royals, greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. Aren't you glad we don't today greet each other with a holy kiss, right? Like Paul said, thank the Lord. Keep my, my boundaries. So, <laughs> to call the children of the Norwegian king and queen your royal highness instead of just your highness is offensive for political reasons. Weird. In Thailand, even the king's dog is revered. In 2015, a man was sentenced to three months in prison for a sarcastic tweet about the dog. Yes. Not alike. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. In a story many of us are familiar with, King Xerxes with Esther, you were put to death if you came to the throne room unsummoned unless he extended the scepter to you. Remember that one? Really glad that that doesn't happen today. <laughs> so I too have had my run-ins with some foreign diplomacy fumbles. Some of you have hold this, heard this story before. Cody's Cheering me on to tell the story, I look like a complete buffoon during this. But so a couple years ago, I produced and hosted a, a community affairs program for Atlanta. And <laughs> my biggest fan, my biggest fan over there. So um, in, in one of these things, we, we had um, public affairs. We would invite representatives and state senators out to talk about what they were doing. And, and I had the privilege of having the Israeli ambassador, the general consul to the southeast, uh, come on the show. And I was like so excited. I was so nervous. And at the time, President Trump had just gone to Israel, and he was the first sitting president to ever visit the Western Wall. And so I asked her, I said, how do you feel about that? 
Like, isn't that wonderful? And she goes, yes, it's so wonderful. And he, she puts up her hand to say when he put his hand on the Western Wall. And I thought she was going for a high five. <laughs> so I, very American, I try to give her a high five. And she looks at me and she cuts her eyes like, what? What are you doing? But then she just rolls right with it and she keeps going. She doesn't miss a beat. I'm watching her PA behind the camera go, oh my goodness, what? did you just, did you just, you touched her, you touched the ambassador <laughs> when she's talking about this holy moment in the Western Wall. Yes, it was embarrassing. My mom sometimes sends me the clip to remind me. <laughs> just to keep me humble. She's like, you're not that cool. <laughs> so, and I am not. So my actions, although innocent, were inappropriate for the time and place. Without her grace in the situation, it would have been even more incredibly awkward. Right. So my question for you today is, how do we interact with and approach God in a manner that's right, worthy of who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Today we'll talk about in the context of worship corporately as a body. It's not just singing songs. A couple years ago, Cody and I would, would be able to go visit other churches whenever we were still on Saturday nights and experience other, other cultures of worship. And sometimes it would be so on fire, people would be ready to go in, and then some people would just be like, this is so uncomfortable for me. It's so uncomfortable. And, you know, everybody's on their own journey. Everybody is getting to know him more each and every day. But in worship, we have this beautiful opportunity to literally meet with him as a body, together, as a community. There's something so, so special about that. And I just want to remind us as a people today, the privilege that we have to be in his presence. For some, God is a distant relative. The big man upstairs was singing about a stranger. And for others, it's a dangerous misunderstanding between intimacy and familiarity. There's a careless approach to holy God. We now have this unprecedented access through, to the Father through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was, was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace in confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What gives us this confidence? His grace. His grace enables and empowers us to approach him in a pure way like Jesus interacted with the Father. When we interact with him in the worship, we must come to him humbly, never forgetting and understanding that it's his great love, mercy, and grace through Jesus' sacrifice in the new covenant that allows us to even be in his presence to even be in his presence. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel, Samuel, not Samuel. <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. And we'll read verse 1 through 7. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, 
which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might, say all their might, before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Fun story, right? Wow. And everybody said amen. (laughs) Uzzah, talk about some context of this, was the son of Abinadab. The ark of God had been taken by the Philistines and then was returned to Israel after some infliction of God came upon them for taking and stealing the ark from the Israelites. And the ark had been in the house of Abinadab for about 20 years. So in context, we can understand that Uzzah and Ahio had grown up around the ark. It had been there sitting in behind a curtain, maybe collecting dust. But somewhere along the way, as he grew up in the house where the ark was, he had apparently also grown familiar and careless towards the presence. I used to read this with the thought of he was only trying to help, not understanding the context of what he knew. How often do we try to help God get his glory when he's already glorious? Can we add anything to him? Absolutely not. There's a difference you can feel when someone's leading a worship set and they're like, come on, guys, he's really good, I promise. Instead of, this is who he is. Are you with me? Let's go. This is who he is. We lead, we teach about who he is, we talk about his nature, we sing about it. But it's not my job to convince you who he is. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's your own faith that stirs up within you to say, I stand in agreement with my brothers and sisters. This is who God is, and I will worship him. Right? This changes the way we approach him in worship. It changes the way we open up a worship set. It changes the way we pray. It changes the way we would try to market God. He is already glorious, and he will always be. He doesn't need our help, but he is after our hearts. David, in the same chapter, later in the same chapter, dances in front of the ark undignified. What is the difference here? The difference in David's actions and Uzzah's was that there was a reverence, a purity in heart, obedience and worship. Uzzah knew not to touch the ark. He knew only the Levitical priests could do that. So in his action, he said, is he really going to stand by his word? He needs my help. Let me touch it. Let me step out of bounds. And forgetting what God had commanded the Israelites, there was a sacred approach in what David did. Dancing undignified right there in front of the ark. So, Uzzah died by touching the glory in a way that he was not allowed to. He had no access. The Bible says that no one may see God's face and live, Exodus 33, 
God talking to Moses. Yet now we are encouraged to seek his face. Even in the old covenant, that's in Psalm 27, 8. David prophesies, the Lord is saying, seek my face, your face I will seek. So it feels like a trick question. Are we supposed to seek God's face or else are we going to die? Do you want me to die? Do you want me to seek your face? And then I'm gone, but I'm with you, Lord. It's weird, right? What, what's going on here? What do you want me to do, right? But Galatians 2.20, for we are crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have this access to approach the throne of grace and confidence. Everybody say approach the throne of grace in confidence. See, his burden is light, but his glory is weighty. There is a responsibility that we have as believers. Not to remind God who he is. He knows. He doesn't need our help. But to come in with the understanding of this is who you are. This is who you have been, and this is who you always be. So it's my honor to be in your presence. So as worship leaders, and when I say worship leaders, I don't mean just on the stage. I mean every one of us in here. It's important to lead people to a place you've been before. Amen, Walter. (laughs) It's a sacred thing that the Lord would trust you with anyone in anything, right? No matter what area of life that you're in, it's a sacred thing. The Lord would trust you to lead anyone in anything. So I make sure before any ministry, and not just right here unto people, but also unto the Lord in my quiet time when it's just me and him, I appropriately adjust myself to Jesus by doing a couple things, the practical things I do. When you see me pacing up here, I'm not just being like bread and butter, bread and butter, bread and butter, right? I'm doing some things. I'm talking to the Lord, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Come prepared when you come to church. Come prepared to worship. What I do is, if there's anything in my heart that I need to repent for, I take care of that. Check. Any forgiveness? I pray in the Spirit. I pray in English, and I pray in my heavenly prayer language. I ask God once he, what he wants to do in the room, and I expect the presence to come because of the promise. I know he's going to come. There's never, there will never be a day, whether I'm, I'm singing in my car by myself or we're here with each other, that he won't show up. Never. It's impossible. He's a promise. He's not a liar. He comes. It may look different from time to time because of the way that we interact with him. It was, if it was the same every time, that'd be boring. It would be. It would be. He's so multidimensional, but he is still a holy and mighty God. And he promises to meet with his people. Like a chiropractor, adjustments are made to the nervous system to operate like it was designed to. Our spiritual nerves, our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit allows me to be a clean vessel for ministry. I approach the throne of grace in confidence, and I worship there. Adjusting to him means my best foot forward, my best offering, my best worship is what he deserves from me because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. Let's turn to Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. 
Our approach to God and worship will radically shift when we understand God's approach to us. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter asked, answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. There's an exchange. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's an exchange here. When Jesus says, Peter, who am I? He says, this is who you are. He says, right. And then he walks off. No. <laughs> he says, correct. The Father revealed that to you. And guess what? This is who you are to me. You are Peter, and I'm going to use your life. This is who you are. God's approach to us is love. It's an exchange of breath, of identity. The first interaction man ever had with God was breathing dust to dust. His first breath was worship because it was returned to him. We love because he first loved us. It changes everything when we understand that God is love. He approaches us not in a way that is distant, not in a way that is don't touch me or get ready first. Because a lot of this, this message could sound very much like works if we could actually do it by ourselves. But we can't. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us. And it's our responsibility to steward, to work out our salvation with the Lord, right? We love because he first loved us. Maybe you've never considered God's approach to you. He's way more excited than our highest excitement to meet with him. If Stephen, where are you? If you could come up for me. He's so excited to meet with us. When I was pregnant, one of the things I prayed for and one of the things I was really excited about is like, I said, Lord, I get this opportunity to have even a deeper revelation of the Father's love because becoming a parent, you know, everybody says, oh, it changes everything. You can't, I can't explain it. And you really can't. Whenever I look at Walter, even when he's screaming at me, when I'm trying to change his diaper, I'm like, you are the best thing in the world. <laughs> he's the best thing. In, there he is. He's the best thing in the world. Sometimes I will just hover over him while he's taking a nap, just waiting for him to wake up like a creepy mom. <laughs> And I'll just watch him, and I'll be like, oh, you're so beautiful. And even in that, the Holy Spirit reminds me of, if you feel this intense joy when he lights up, when he wakes up, when he reaches for you, how much more, how much stronger does the father feel towards his sons and his daughters? Do you know how much love he has for you? Are you ready for him?
Because he's coming regardless, ready or not. (laughs) Will you be ready for him? If everybody could just close your eyes for a second. I want to pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as one people, one body, one generation under heaven to say we love you. It is a privilege and an honor, our highest honor to serve you and to be in your presence and to worship you. And may we never forget your worth. May we never forget what you've done. It will never lose its value. It will never lose its power. So may we be reminded today to adjust and stand at attention and say, Jesus, I love you. This is who you are. Thank you. May gratefulness rise up in our hearts and our faith be stirred to understand who he is. If you've never considered God's approach towards you and you've always thought about, oh, what can I do for God? What can I do for him? How much I approach him? But understand that he's already on the road with open arms as a father waiting for you to come home. He loved us first. Everything else is a response. I never want to go having an opportunity like this without asking the question. I never want to assume. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody in the house today that doesn't know him, that's never met him, that's never considered that God's approach to us is love, that he's worthy, that he died for you, and all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe, I repent, and I'm going to serve you. If there's anybody in the house today that wants to meet him for the first time or for the first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand as a symbol of faith today? Yeah. Let's pray this prayer together so nobody feels awkward. We're a family. I can't pray this prayer for you. But as you speak it out loud, mean it with all of your heart. Let's pray this together. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life on the earth as a sacrifice for sin. I repent. I want to serve you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I invite you into my heart. Holy Spirit, come and overflow. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anybody in here today that says, this message was for me, I need to adjust to the Holy Spirit. I've been walking with him for a long time, but somewhere along the way, it switched from intimacy to familiarity. Today, there is an opportunity for you to come to him humbly and say, Lord, adjust me. Get my spiritual nerves in line with what you're doing. Make me sensitive to the Holy Spirit again. Open my ears, unclog. Open my eyes, wipe away the scales. If that's you this morning, in your own way, in your heart, why don't you just say, Lord, come in. Help. Holy Spirit, help. And believing that prayer in faith because he will do what you ask when you ask in faith. He needs 
your full attention, your full heart. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. If we could have the prayer team come up. If you answered either of those calls today, there are people up here that want to pray with you, that want to meet with you. If you said yes to Jesus for the first time, why don't you tell them and we'll provide you some resources of what to do next. Yeah. Why don't we all stand as we pray together. Father, thank you so much for your presence. You are worthy. You will always be. Remind us of who you are. Make us in right standing with you. We love you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your presence of a holy and mighty God who's so close and so near and so approachable. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.